if you could fire it up and turn to Matthew 13, that would be excellent. And while you do that, just to... It's great to have the Franks with us this morning, Daniel and Becky. Just, just give us a wave, you guys are there. And they're doing a, a very brave and courageous thing of planting a new church out in the Wallace Well area. And uh, we see them from time to time and we meet up and we bless them. Uh, but they're doing a Light and Life outreach or style outreach starting next Friday evening at 7.30. Uh, some of our guys are going to go help worship, but they're looking for people who can do spiritual readings. Uh, so if you've done or would like to step out more in reading people's mail by the Holy Spirit, then <laughs> talk, talk to them. And, and So Friday night, 7.30, and I can tell you all the details, but now you know who they are. They're smiling at all of you because they want lots of help. So it'd be good to encourage them as they're stepping out and bless them with what they're doing. Uh, some of you have been up to me and congratulated me and Teresa already. You, uh, you Facebook hounds before church. <laughs> and uh, this is going to get a mention in the preach. Can't help it. It's been a massive family week for us as, as, a, as a family. And I love what JL said about, you know, you honor your parents, honor the household, the, the faith that you're in, and, and honor... God as, as your spiritual dad and, and I think it's such an important dynamic that it's that prophetic promise at the end, right at the end of the Old Testament that hearts of children are turned to fathers and fathers to children uh, and it's a key actually that f- the reinstatement of family connections and family affections is a key to the coming of the kingdom so I'm making no excuse to brag in on my family this morning um, so a lot of you know last Last Saturday, just over a week ago, uh, my youngest, our youngest daughter got married, uh, and that was just such a great, great time. Phil did the, the service. He was, he, he laughed every time he said, as the minister, I now pronounce, he was like, but you so were the minister and did such a fantastic job. Then. So that was a great joy for us, and delighted some of you could be there. Uh, and then last night, uh, late on, 22 minutes past 10, uh, our daughter-in-law gave birth to Zachary Caleb Merrick. Uh, some of you know that our son and daughter-in-law, Luke and Claire, live in Cape Town. So um, he weighed in at a, a hefty nine pounds at five ounces. Um, so he, he he's already chubby cheeked. You know, her babies, he's kind of... So he, he burst into the world, and we're very, very grateful to God. They're both really well. Uh, lots of chat, backwards and forwards on the internet and so on. And it's been, it's been he's got my nose, uh, which on a boy can be a blessing. <laughs> we just prayed that it wouldn't land on any of our girls. So <laughs> uh, It's so, so, so good. Family is a beautiful thing, and God invented it. Uh, he is a dad. First and foremost, his heavenly Father, and from him all the family on, in heaven and earth gets its name. So he invented the idea of family, uh, and it's really important to him and therefore to us. Uh, so great, that's good news, isn't it? Right, that, that's such good news. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about how you get more of what you value, uh, and really the subplot is that we learn to value 
heaven's stuff, uh, which actually for us is a bit of a mind-bending excursion at times because we've been trained from our mother's milk to value earth stuff, value what we can measure, what we can smell, what we can see, what we can touch, and what makes sense in a, in a earthly point of view. And yet as we pray, and as we're praying for 24-7, we pray 168 hours, one of our big yearnings is to just pray what Jesus taught us to pray, was that his kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven. And I don't believe that is just a prayer for the end to come. It's a prayer for more of what's up there to be down here now. Um, and that is what we're beginning to experience, and we want to experience more of that. But what we're learning is that heaven doesn't look at all like earth. It doesn't look like the earth we believe is reality or the earth that we think and, and sense and what is acceptable in our, in our upbringing here in Western Europe and in Scotland and in the UK has taught us what's sensible and what's wise and actually that doesn't always match with the wisdom of heaven. So we're, we're, in, that, we're in Matthew 13. I want to read a chunk of scripture here as, as I've done my, my introduction. Uh, if it wonders a little bit, forgive me, it was late night celebrating birth of new baby and early morning. I was not in prayer this morning. I was on Facebook. I was on WhatsApp communicating to my children around the country and the world celebrating this birth. So there's a message going to come out of here somewhere, right? So let's pray. That would be a really good idea. <laughs> you probably need to pray more than me right now. So Father, we just love, uh, we love your word. We love scripture. We love that it, we would be so messed up without you leaving this written record inspired by the Spirit for us. And uh, we, we pray for your help this morning. We thank you that we've just sang and and realize that, that heaven is open, and, and I believe heaven is here. You've come in person, Jesus. You've come, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father, we welcome you. God, the three in one, we welcome you right now. And uh, we thank you, send assisting angels to serve us, and we, we just want to honor their presence too. And, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, do what one of the things you are sent to do. Just show us the things we need to see so that we can be more like you. Amen. And bless all those other amazing churches around Glasgow. Just as we were declaring, we want to see unity, favor, blessing, fruitfulness on all our friends around this city. Amen. And especially Wallach Swell Church Plant <laughs> outreach next week. I want to see a real breakthrough for you guys. Okay. Matthew 13. Uh, parable of the sower the same day Jesus went out starting at verse 1 of the houses sat by the lake such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore then he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he scattered the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. 
And uh, just, just jumping to his interpretation of it, although it's really worth, in your own time, reading the whole context here. Um, verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. And it's just if you read the Mark account, it says if you get this parable, it's the key to understanding all the others. If you don't get this, how are you going to understand the other parables of the kingdom? So there's something quite important going on in this parable, this story that, that Jesus is telling. He, he gives them the interpretation. Verse 18, listen then what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell in a rocky place is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed and it fell amongst the thorns is a man who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who receives the seed that fell on the good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or even or 30 times what was sown and in the Luke account he says that the good soil was a noble and good heart it's useful, useful to get all the information out of the three different tellings of this this parable and just flick with me to, to a couple more verses later in Matthew 13 they're all parables of the kingdom so Jesus is trying to communicate the nature of the kingdom of heaven to people on the earth by using slightly confusing stories on purpose. He actually says he's doing it on purpose. Uh, but for us, who are thirsty to see more of the kingdom of heaven on the earth, then we really need the help of our Heavenly Father to get our head around this, because he's telling us something about the nature of the kingdom. Just quickly, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure <coughs> hidden in a field, when a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. That tells you something about the incredible value of the kingdom when you see it in its purest form. And It's not always obvious, but when you see it, it's so precious, you'll give up all of earth to get something of heaven. And, and I'm just stay with me because I'm going to mention a couple of the scriptures from the Old Testament and then we're going to try and pull all this together. In, I, I found I, the, heart, the, the heart is a fascinating thing in scripture. The in, the, what happens on the inside of you. And in Proverbs, there's a couple of Proverbs that I think relate to this. The, and, and even you can, hear, you can hear overtones of these Proverbs in what Jesus is saying. So Proverbs 22 Verse 5 says, thorns and snares. Does that have some echoes with the pictures of what we just... Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So I, I think something that's happening in this parable here is Jesus is talking in sort of agricultural terms to talk about the nature of people's hearts and that the nature of people's hearts affect 
and the condition of their heart affects the way they receive the message or the word of the kingdom. And some people, it, it says they don't understand, it's like it bounces off and quickly the Satan snatches it away. And, and, and I've been like that and I guess some of us have been like that. You know, you hear someone, you even see a dramatic expression of the kingdom or you hear something, you know it's good, but you don't understand it or it doesn't make sense to you, you immediately reject it and it's good, whatever good it was is lost to you. That's to do with an inner reaction you're having to an encounter with the kingdom uh, or that I'm having in an encounter. With, do, do you know what I mean? So we don't get it. You can be in an amazing meeting or see something amazing happen or hear something amazing, but you don't get it and it's lost to you. A week later, it's as if it never happened. Other things come and we have this rush of enthusiasm. We think, yeah, it was so good to be on in this place or in this school or in whatever. And, and we kind of run and then, you know, it totally fizzles after a, three weeks. I've been there. Um, or you just get back into life and, you know, anxiety and paying the bills and doing your work and raising your kids and fixing your roof and stuff. All that earthly stuff. I mean, this is talking our language, isn't it? All right, we don't need to be a farmer to, to really get that this is <laughs> something that actually affects us day to day. But what these Proverbs tell us, and I think what, what Jesus is pointing to, is that actually we, we aren't victims. We actually have, we're powerful enough to have charge of what goes on on the inside of us. We're not victims of our circumstances. We're not victims of the devil. We're not victims of the pressures of life. Actually, you have power to guard your heart. It's a lie to believe that the condition of you and me on the inside is everybody else's fault, is life's fault, is my upbringing's fault. Now, obviously, things that happen around us affect us, but we, what this is telling us is we are not victims. We are powerful people, and we have some responsibility for the condition of our insides. And, and in the bit we didn't read, Jesus kind of talks a bit about that, about the people he's talking to, He's saying, actually, they're hardened on the inside. That means they're not getting it. And he would like them to change. But this is, this is a story about your insides, not about a field. But it's using the picture of a field because that's what your insides are like. And, and, and what it's saying, I think one of the things it's saying to us is, is a good farmer, the seed is valuable, all right? The seed is precious. The seed is something you want. And not only do you want it, you want it to reproduce itself. No farmer sows a seed and expects for every, a one-on-one -on -one result. All right? It's absolutely a waste of time to sow one seed to get one seed back. Why not just eat the seed you have? You know, why wait a whole season to reap another seed, a one-for-one? One? Farmers would be bankrupt within a year. The whole point of sowing a seed is that you get multiplication from the seed. And if we want to see a multiplication of what we're seeing and more of heaven on earth, then somehow there's some secret in this parable that talks about receiving one thing that God downloads into us and that becoming 30, 60 and 100 fold in our life and in our community and in our city.
Yeah? So he's actually saying, if we can figure out something to do with the way we receive the seed, we can experience phenomenal multiplication because the seed is powerful, but actually the soil has an influence on, on its fruitfulness. You, you, you follow me? So actually, this isn't just, well, God's sovereign, and one day when he breaks in, everything will be fine. It's no, God is sovereign, but actually he he's, wants to partner with the, our condition. The seed is potent, but our hearts are important. And our hearts are not simply the victim. We, we have some responsibility about the condition of our insides that we do something, that we, we tend our soil so that it's a good place for kingdom to arrive. Yeah? A good farmer will pre-prepare the field. Okay, I've not seen a field with a guy going out sowing on a field that is already full of weeds and rocks. If you watch farmers, they get their, now it's all mechanized, I know, but they, they, they hoe the thing, they get rid of the rocks, they get rid of the weeds, they weed killer it, they put all those channels in and then they sow the seed because the seed is valuable And they value the seed so much that they put the work in on the soil before the seed comes so that they're looking for the hundredfold increase on every seed they put in because that's how it works. Yeah? So the soil preparation comes beforehand. And Jesus is pointing here, I think, to something where there's different people where their soil is in different states of preparation. And if you value the seed, you'll get your soil ready. If you understand what's coming, even if it's invisible, but that it's important, you can prepare yourself. Is this, this making sense so far? Okay, good. Just that, That's a miracle. Or you had your first miracle of the day. I made sense for the last ten minutes. It's really good. Um, you and I have a responsibility to tend the field in order to host the seed. If we have little value for the seed, then we won't put in the energy or the diligence to keep our hearts in a good place. And I think this, this story hits probably three deceptions that can creep up on us in our culture. One is, which we've already referred to, is that we kind of believe that how we're doing is just how we're doing. It's, it's easy, particularly, I think Christians are, can be poor at this. If you have a sort of, uh, uh, yeah, an over-realized view of sovereignty, and you just kind of think, well, I just totally am in the condition I'm in. It's nothing I could do about it. That's not true. The other thing is that that, that comes out in the parable is that there is a contest for what's valuable in your life. And our culture is telling us that things other than the kingdom are more valuable all the time. And that's a lie. So the cares of life and all this stuff that gets in the way, that's because we start to value them rather than tend the seed. Oh, 
this is the pressing issue of the moment, the material, the, 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 the natural, the, the, the circumstantial thing that we are in or the thing that we need to do with our career or our job or our children becomes a pressing thing that we give our hope and our attention and our energy to and suddenly we've forgotten about tending the, the seed. So we've valued the other stuff more than his stuff. Am I, am I making sense? And the third thing is that we have to develop a value for the arrival of the unseen ahead of when it arrives. So anticipation is important for a farmer. Pre-prepared fields are quite valuable to seed sowers. And we have a high value for what we already know and already see and have already received. We need to up our value for the arrival of the unseen. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a popular myth around Christianity that more miracles happen in poor countries because they're poor. I've been in hundreds of conversations over the years where we say, there's more miracles happening in Africa. Oh, that's because they're poor and they really need it. Type, have you heard that? Is it just me? But I think that's a lie. I've been to Africa several times. I've been to other third world environments. And I've been to non-poor cultures where more miracles happen it's nothing to do with how poor they are it's to do with the fact that they value the unseen realm they live in cultures where the unseen realm is valued now it may not be a nice unseen realm it may not be the unseen realm we want to see but they value it so you wander around Mozambique and you're preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and you'll see people who've got stuff painted up their arms because they've been to the witch doctors because they believe it works we prayed for scores of people who had headaches, and we were like, oh, headaches, we get pray headaches healed. They thought it was wonderful, because when they go to the witch doctor, they get whatever they need from the witch doctor, but the, 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 the payback or the fruit of it is that they live with these demonic headaches all day and all night. They've got no access to paracetamol, so they're just huge swathes of the, con- of, of, of the country, the population, live with headaches. So us going around saying, be healed, and the headaches were getting healed. We were like, you got a headache healed, what's that? But to them, they have no relief from this sort of low-level demonic thing. But they're plugged into the unseen realm. They believe in the unseen realm. You go to Singapore, it's the same. But that's not poor. Singapore is rich. But they believe in the unseen realm, and things break out. They have an easier value for the unseen realm because they fundamentally in their culture believe in it. How do we value things? Well, we really value our family. We love having grandkids. And every time one pops out into this planet, we celebrate. We crack open a bottle of champagne. We sing down the phone to our kids. We, we send crazy messages that go whoop, 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 and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> we love it. And then when we get with these little kids, you know, as soon as it's, it's technically possible, I start to throw them in the air. I don't care if they're going to be sick on me. And we tickle their tummies. And we, we just make a fuss, a family, because we deeply value it. 
We celebrate it. We give time and money. We've sent money already over to South Africa for the pre to the birth of this baby. In fact, Teresa found this changing bag that was a bargain. But it was everything, you know, to take all the nappies and all that kind of stuff and, uh, that you need as a new mum with the new baby. So she decides, I'm going to buy this. And actually, they're going to come over for Christmas. I said, well, we'll give it to them then. But no, 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 you need this when the baby arrives. So we pass all the thing up and we send it which costs, the sending it costs as much as the bag. <laughs> and then when it gets there, the first time ever when we've sent anything, they then charge them import duty, which is, again, as much as the bag is worth. <laughs> so they now have this superb changing bag, which actually has cost us three times what it was in the shop. <laughs> but what the heck? <laughs> we value them. We value family. Yeah? So we're going to get more and more grandkids. I'm sure it's just going to happen because we value it. We love it. We love family. We celebrate those things. We give money to it. We give time to it. We give affection to it. We sing about it. We make a fuss about it. We post it on Facebook. We, 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 we generate momentum and fun and woo Yeah? Drive long distances, stay awake, crazy hours. You do the same. The things you like, the things that you value, you do the same. And that's what this parable, I think, is pointing to. And, and that little thing that we read about the guy who sold everything to get the treasure. Celebrating kingdom stuff means that more of it grows. That the soil is good. And you give money to it. We're having a special offering. If you celebrate and value what God is doing in this community, it is no problem to give celebratory offerings into it. Because that's what we do. That's what Teresa and I have done our whole life. Just we value church. Do do, do you see there's a connection here? Um, Here's some of the things that we are learning about, I think, to value. First of all is valuing the presence of God. Now that might sound blindingly obvious, but actually for many Christians it is not blindingly obvious. Their highest priority is not to seek, celebrate and enjoy the tangible presence of God. And I believe that is something that we are seeking to change. So one of the reasons we linger in worship is we want to make room for him to break in. And we want to make room to experience him. So presence of God is not a theory for this house. Presence is God, not something we sing about, talk about, or quote the scriptures about. It's something that we believe we're all supposed to experience and encounter all the time. And we want to value his presence, his touch. Now, that can come dramatically or it can come subtly 
But however he comes, however he touches your life, whether you just sort of feel that warmth of his presence on you, you feel heat on your face, tingling in your hands, you get that sort of weight sometimes feeling that comes on your shoulders, or you just get joy exploding on the inside of you, or you get whacked out on the floor. However he comes, we value his presence. We love your presence, God. See, that's an unseen thing. In many ways, unmeasurable, but it's the most important thing in our life. And we can have an increase of presence the more we value Him. And actually, it's the main thing that we need. And we've talked on this many times about how David, you know, king of a nation, said, The one thing that I'm here for is to dwell in your presence. He's, he's a king of a nation, all the things that are on his agenda to do, but the one thing was his presence. The one thing in my life is becoming his presence. I value it, I love it, I want more of it. Yeah? This is kingdom seat arriving in your heart. When you just start to feel the fingerprint of heaven on your face, you love it, you ask for more of it, you celebrate it, you enjoy it, and you run with it. We celebrate healings. We celebrate profound healings, but we also celebrate small ones and partial ones. And that is still grating in our hearts. I know it is in mine. And we've been doing it for three years now, and some of us are going a bit, well, why are we still clapping for a sore knee healed? You know what? Because we want to see a hundred sore knees healed and a thousand cancers healed. We want to we rejoice in every sign that heaven showed up in this house. Hello? And if in our hearts, and my heart, I'm going, well, that's a bit boring now, then I've stopped valuing heaven and started to value something else. If in my heart I'm going, well, we haven't seen someone leap out of a wheelchair yet, then I've started to value something else and not value heaven. I've become earthly. I've become, well, God, when, you know, I'm really going to celebrate you when you've met all my criteria. Do, do you see what I mean? And we have that. It's like, well, and I, I have it talking to leaders that sometimes it's like, well, you haven't seen this yet. And I'm like, but we have seen this. <laughs> Uh, I want to say a bit more about this. A few, a few years ago now, before we moved up here, uh, I, was, I was leading um, a Churches Together movement in, in Newcastle where we were for 12 years. And there was about 15, 18 churches that would get together and, and it was going really well. And we started to do joint Sunday evening worship and prayer times. And at the beginning, they were amazing. And, and we had about 300 people in this room, and we were worshiping God in this sort of unified environment. And the presence of God was thick in this place. It was really remarkable. And, 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 and this one evening, I was leading it. I thought, we need to pray. God's here. We need to pray for people. So I called people forward for prayer, and, and some of our guys and different teams were involved in praying for people. And this blind guy came out for prayer. And uh, 
he got completely healed. He had, and when I checked it all out with him later, he had, he had a guide dog, he had you know, the blind benefits, total stuff. The only sight he had was he had all the dark glasses, one eye with a special telescope. He could read the words on the overhead screen. Just, that, that was the level of sight. But his eyes opened in that meeting. But you know what? In that meeting, we've been praying for God to break in. In our church, we were praying, oh, we want to see more miracles. But when one happened, the leadership in the city didn't really know what to do with it. It was not celebrated. The guy was treated with a certain amount of suspicion. And I can even remember in our own elders meeting going, we should do something with this. And the guys were like, well, you know. And I'm like, something wrong here and I didn't know what it was but we didn't go woo woo this is the seed of heaven just showed up so that was it we saw a blind guy healed we're suspicious of the supernatural when we're in our kind of natural mindset we're cool about it we're cautious about it we want we want endless proof about it. Well, let's flip the whole thing over and just celebrate whatever sign of heaven invading earth there is. Let's enjoy it. We're so afraid of being duped. Well, let's be duped for Jesus a few times. So protective of our reputation. So protective of, you know, we don't want to look stupid. Well, I want to be a fool for Christ. Who's fool to you? Is what John Bimber said once. <laughs> He saw, the, he saw this guy with a plaque on him. This is an old story, but it says on the front, I'm a fool for Christ. It was one of these guys witnessing on the street. And on the, as you walk past him, it said on the back, and whose fool are you? That was so bad. This guy was healed, stayed healed. I saw him, I met him. <laughs> You know, he got a job. He, he, was just, he was just remarkable. Hallelujah. And actually, if you celebrate it, you can pull that reality into now. Because God is timeless. Although it happened, you know, 12 years ago, whatever it was. Um, there's, a, there's a book you can get. I've read extracts of it. About a man called Roland Buck. Uh, in the 1970s, late 1970s. The angel Gabriel met with him, he claimed. Not just once. He had the physical manifestation of an angel show up in his office. He was a, a, a Pentecostal church pastor in, I forget where it was in the States, and met with him in total 27 times physically and he gave him a scroll a physical scroll that he could show people he gave him the ability to remember I think it was 2,000 Bible verses an instant recall he gave him he, they had lots of conversations which he, he recorded in a book uh, I think it was called uh, Angels on Assignment or something um, 
and he gave him like prophetic words or things to share that this thing would happen and this thing would happen and so on and so forth. And even people were like, well, why did this happen to you? Were you seeking God? Were you fasting? He says, no, not particularly. <laughs> the picture of him looks just like a real ordinary dude with this big dog. Loved his dog. Um, but he was treated with huge suspicion by the church. And uh, uh, one of the sort of comments I read, someone was looking at these sort of historical events, was it was, it was as if God showed up with this lovely, you know, it wasn't the biggest church in town, he wasn't having the most breakthrough, it was just this lovely, faithful Pentecostal pastor. God sends an angelic, physical angelic manifestation of a senior angelic principality to have a chat with him in his study 27 times just to see how earth would respond to this level of heaven invasion and earth didn't want it that's really bad isn't it but you know some of my reactions to what God does when he shows up converge on rejection rather than warm applause and reception. And my skepticism, my caution. Yeah? I'm just just bringing the point home. Let's celebrate the nosebleed that gets healed. The headache. It's so good um there's a few people in our house on Tuesday night and Nick and Jan, Nick's an elder here with us and Jan, his wife, is on part-time staff and uh, she she came in and she'd been on texting saying she'd been in agony. I think she started, she started off by blaming the Kaylee at our daughter's wedding but I think she'd been lifting and doing other things and by the time uh, sort of Monday came, she was in agony. She was on prescription pain-killing medication. He's married to a GP, which sometimes helps and sometimes doesn't. Because <laughs> he's given her stuff sometimes that doesn't help. But this was prescription-level painkiller. She was in agony with her back. So, of course, we prayed with her and all the pain went. And she went to sleep without drugs. Yay, God! That's good! So she'll tell her story, I'm sure, with much more colour when, when they're back from holiday. Uh, and, and I found out um, there's, there's a guy that uh, a couple of us prayed for this guy for his knees, a, a middle-aged guy who was with us a couple, couple of months ago, I think. And I just found out that his knees, his, the, all the pain went when we prayed, but I just found out that it stayed gone. So that's so good. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? We... Uh, with, I, I was on holiday last weekend, effectively, from Thursday through till Tuesday. And uh, I got back in the office to find an email had been sent uh, on, the f- on the Friday. Uh, and, and Lydia, with, who does our finances, had done the finance report for the summer quarter. And some of you remember, kind of earlier in the summer, we were saying, oh, we're about two and a half, three grand short. Well, she did all the figures for the summer and as it's often the case, giving is not as high in the summer 
by the end of our summer, this finance report, the email that had sent to me that I hadn't read was saying that we were actually five grand behind. And he praised God because I read it on Tuesday. The report was sent on Friday. And before I even got to read it, five grand had appeared in the bank account from an outside source. So I'm like, <laughs> woo hoo hoo! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So, prophecy and dreams. Here's the thing. How do you think this would go down in this nation if David Cameron stood up tomorrow morning at his press conference and said, this guy who's been in jail, I've just employed him as Chancellor of the Exchequer because I had a dream about seven fat cows. And I didn't know what it meant, but I figured it was important. And then I had a dream that also had seven lean cows. And I said to my cabinet, who in this cabinet is good at interpreting dreams? And they all looked at me blankly. And somebody said, well, we threw this dude in jail a little while ago. And he is really good at interpreting dreams. So he came in, he interpreted my dream. And so I employed him to run the finances of the nation. (laughs) And this is the new economic policy for the UK going forward. Uh, How would that go down? What would, what would the tabloids report? <laughs> How long would he remain in office? You employed a guy from prison to run the nation's finances all on the strength of a dream interpretation. Dreams are what you have when you eat bad cheese. You don't run a country on dreams. But that's not a biblical worldview. Even the bad kings knew that dreams were important in the Bible. Hello. This is, this is Pharaoh and Joseph we're talking about, isn't it? Only I'm bringing it up to date. But Pharaoh ran his whole country on the strength of a dream. Israel's kings went into battle on the strength or not of a prophetic word. They drew the, prof- they drew the prophets in and asked for a prophetic word, whether to go to fight or not. They lived their life centered around the invasion of the unseen realm. They, lived, they, they built their nations on dreams and visions and prophetic words. How are we doing? We're valuing the word that comes from heaven so much that we'll celebrate it, we'll enjoy it, we'll whoop and we'll holler and we'll build our lives on it. That's a, bibli- a biblical worldview is that heaven is a superior rea- reality and heaven communicates its superior reality into our reality the way that Heavenly Father talks. And we're not good at talking on His wavelength. So a lot of what we say is where we're crying out 
for more of God and we want to hear him is because we're trying to ramp up our natural ears to hear something that only comes on the spiritual wavelength. Can I say that again? Probably not. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Our Heavenly Father is transmitting cons- constantly His heart, His word, His voice to us. We are often praying, Oh God, speak. Oh God, speak. Oh God, move. Oh God, come. But I think what we're doing is we're not valuing the way that He communicates, His language. So if I go to France and I don't learn the language, I could live confused. I could think these people are idiots. They don't know how to speak properly. They even call it Le Weekend. Why do you need a Le in front of it? It's called a weekend. For goodness sake, people, why don't you communicate to me in a way that I can understand? Well, it's because you're in France. And in France, we talk in French. And we expect you to start to listen in French. And then you realize that we're not all foolish and we do actually can communicate rather complex ideas in our Frenchness. And what we tend to do is we go, here I am, Lord. I want to understand the heavenly realms. Now speak to me in earth. And he speaks to us in heaven and we go, that's nonsense. Oh, this is going rather better than I thought it would. (laughs) See, when we read the Bible, it's meant it's written in order to tune us into heaven's culture. It's not meant for us to try and make the Bible verses fit our way of doing things. So being biblically minded isn't about how many Bible verses you know. It's how much has your worldview been affected by the way that Scripture is put together. Are we adjusted It's like trying to tune, sometimes we're like, I know I've got got a radio and God's now, he transmits in digital, D-A-B. I've still got in old school A-M and I don't understand why I twiddle the dial all day long but I don't really get the signal. You understand? We have to value who he is. We have to value how he comes. We have to value how he speaks. And learn the language of heaven. Learn what, what is valuable from heaven to earth. And celebrate it. Learn it. Enjoy it. And then we start to get more of it. And then we start to hear him. Because he's talking all the time. He's invading our space all the time. He wants to come more than we want him to come. He wants to give us 30, 60, 100 fold increase. Am I making sense? So let's celebrate everything that's got, even just 
the breath of heaven on it. Every little fingerprint that looks like it was God, whether it was a miraculous provision of money, a partial healing, a, a, a wonderful dream that we don't understand, but it sounds like Him. Let's celebrate, let's enjoy it, let's research it, let's, let's discover what it is to trust God enough to build our lives on prophetic words. To seek for the supernatural to become our meat and drink because it is what heaven is. If you think the supernatural is weird, you won't want to go to heaven because it's full-on weird 100% for eternity. It just is. Just, I mean, you don't even have to have a heavenly encounter to know that. Just read the book. Read Revelation. I mean, it's not just angels and stuff up there, but there's weird creatures and all sorts of stuff kicking off. I mean, it's super weird. And you've been invited to stay there forever. God says it'd be better for the planet if more of it was down here before you have to go up there. Huh. I read this on the Global Legacy website. Uh, friends of mine down in um, Leamington Spa. Spa town of Leamington in the Midlands. Uh, this guy Levi, who's an intern with Steve Backland, it doesn't matter if you don't know who that is. Yesterday, on the streets of Royal Leamington Spa, we saw at least 25 people give their hearts to Jesus. <laughs> Leamington Spa! These were first-time commitments. Some were atheists when we met them. <laughs> Some laughed when we suggested they could experience God. But when His sweet presence showed up, these people were really shocked <laughs> to experience Him in various ways. I don't even know if this was healing. They were just praying that people would experience the presence of God on the street. Some were in tears asking Christ to come inside them forever. One thing I love about Jesus, he's not a dead religion, he's a person and he's alive, willing to interact with humanity now. Come on, let's keep celebrating the unseen and as we give it away in our office and we've got stories of our own like this and we give it away on the street. People who don't believe God is there and then you pray and they feel him, suddenly they change their mind. You don't need a big, long, apologetic argument when they encounter him. Oh, well, you know, the, the early scriptures were written in A.D. Da, 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 da. It's really not relevant if Jesus shows up in their face. <laughs> I'm not saying apologetics isn't important, but actually as a means of winning people to Christ, it's a painfully slow and often useless process. You can't actually... Convert someone with a reasoned argument. That isn't conversion. Conversion is an invasion of heaven into someone's heart. Hello, let's keep celebrating what... See, I, th I think heaven is open. A lot of us think it's got the closed sign on. We're looking at the wrong shop. <laughs> so it's about us learning to shift what we value 
into kingdom things, not earthly things. Shift what we think is a great way to communicate into his way of communicating. And he does wonderful things. He does a great job of communicating. It's a bit scary for all of us. And it's a bit brain-bending. But when the operation's over, you'll feel well. (laughs) Because earth, the way we've done earth, in fact, the way we've done church on earth is just the wrong way up. And learning to you know, flip your brain the other way around, in the transition, it makes it hurt. We started our School of Supernatural uh, 10 days ago. This is a great story, guys. We were oversubscribed. <laughs> we have 60 people and we had five people on our waiting list. Did you hear about this last week? I can't remember. Because uh, I was on holiday. Isn't that amazing? More than half are not from Hope Church. They're traveling, they're driving an hour and three quarters, eight people from Dundee, Perth, Dumfries, some people driving up from Ardrossan to come to our school. Our school. Our school. Your school. You're part of this story to hear our stories. I said one line at the beginning. And we happened to meet a couple of people on the train going home. And, and the lady said to me, said, I still can't figure out that first line that you said, let alone the whole rest of the talk. It's like, you, you messed with my head on the first thing you said. I'm like, that's how I used to feel. <laughs> I felt like that for several years. But I want to value the language of heaven. I've given myself to figuring this out, to seeing my mind be changed to line up with heaven's way of doing things as reflected in the worldview that is the Bible. Too many of us read biblical truth through an earthly worldview and just end up with souped-up earth. Hello. We do it all the time. A, a bit more wiser earthliness. We've completely discounted the invasion of God's presence, God's power, God's love, God's supernatural activity because we fundamentally are suspicious of it or don't believe in it. God is changing that. The true church is going to display his glory in all its supernatural power because that's what Jesus was on the earth. He was an unexplainable phenomena who healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers and cast out demons, walked on water displayed himself in full-on glory to a select band of disciples. Do you want me to go on? Caused a herd of pigs to run off into the sea and ruined several people's livelihood in the process. And on and on, he spoke in ways that people didn't understand. He upset the authorities. He did all this stuff. That's what the church is going to look like. So that requires us being reprogrammed to heaven so that we can display him on the earth. So let's go through the brain ache of starting to value the things that are value to him, valuable to him and rejoicing in the things that are valuable to him and celebrating them and hosting them 
etc., etc., even when it doesn't make sense and we feel awkward, let's train ourselves to whoop and holler and celebrate when heaven shows up, no matter how small, because then we're going to see the 30, 60, 100-fold increase we've all been craving for our whole lives. Amen. End of, end of message. <laughs>